Welcome to the Red Rain Podcast. Here is your host from SB Nation's Revenge of the Birds, Walter Mitchell. Thank you, Kyle Little Rock Ledbetter. Welcome back, Cardinal fans. Today we're going to going to pose the question which I posed on Twitter yesterday. Who do you consider most to blame for the Kyler Murray drama? As we know, Kyler did not show up for OTAs uh, this week. Some uh, say it's no big deal and was kind of expected. Uh, others, like Ron Wolfley, are um, pretty upset. He says, I want my quarterback uh, the leader of my team at all activities. And I agree with that um, wholeheartedly. Uh, you know, then there's the debate, does it really matter? Well, you know, if you listen to Duda Baker telling us why he goes, A, because he was brought up that way, he says, when, you know, you're asked to be somewhere you go. And B, he said, because when he was a rookie, the tips that he got before training camp from the veterans were invaluable. And without that, he wouldn't have been felt nearly um, as prepared heading into training camp because he says, once training camp starts, if you don't have your assignments down, if you don't, if you don't know what you're doing at that point, um, you know, they're just going to pass you by. Um, they're not going to slow things down for you. So, you know, he said, I'd like to go because I want to help my young, you know, the young players along. And I know Buddha's very excited about the youth in the secondary. He even said that, uh, you know, for him, in his way of thinking, it's the best um, secondary room he's been in in Arizona, which is pretty fascinating um, considering the lack of veterans in there. But I know Buddha's very high on the, the people the young players that they have there. But that's part of the reason why he said as, as a leader now, I feel like I really need to get in there and get my hands on, um, you know, uh, the rookies and the younger players and kind of show them the ropes and uh, because we're going to need them and we're going to have to build them up and got to, got to get them ready for training camp. So, um, but I, as I walk, wanted to do i posted a um poll on twitter asking um whom do you hold most accountable for the kyler murray offseason drama and uh 232 cardinal fans voted kyler murray got 31.5 percent eric burkhart the agent got 52.2 michael bidwell the owner got 5.2 and Steve Kime, the GM, got 11.2%. So, you know, clearly uh, most of the fans are pinning it on Kyler and his agent. Um, more the agent than Kyler, but combined, you're talking close to 84% of, of 232 fans uh, put the onus of this drama on them. And, uh, you know, I... I tend to uh, understand and agree with that, except that I'm going to pose um, 
make the proposal that Michael Bidwell has a lot to do with this um, as a theory. I mean, I don't know. I'm not in the building. But from what I've heard, from what I've read, from what's been reported, uh, yesterday I was very, very um, curious to learn uh, when Steve Kime was on uh, Pat McAfee. Uh, I remember Steve Kime saying back at the Combine after uh, Eric Burkhart wrote the timely manifesto and ransom note that this is a, you know, he said, I know Eric Burkhart and, you know, this is an agent just doing his job, which at the time really ticked me off because, you know, how many agents do we see in February making a big stink like this? Um, and, you know, drawing national attention to uh, a player, and particularly when and the Cardinals have been right all along about timetables and re-signing quarterbacks, it typically happens in the summer months at some point. And, you know, the Cardinals, have, by all means, they were focusing on free agency, which I think, you know, were affected. There's no doubt in my mind. Some people say, no, the Cardinals weren't going to spend anyway or this and that. We don't know that. I mean, I think it's convenient to look at it that way. But, um, you know, I, the, the drama around Kyler, I think, had a ripple effect. And uh, I think there was certainly it created a, a, an uncertainty about what Kyler's status was with the team, where, where, what the team's commitment was was going to be, um, what Kyler's commitment was going to be, whether he was fed up with the organization already after three years, like some of the veterans who have left in a huff, um, pointing fingers. Um, there's just too much, too much drama to that to ignore it, in my opinion. But, uh, but interestingly, Steve Kime then doubled down yesterday with Pat McAfee and said that he and Eric Burkhart are close friends. They're, they're close friends and they have a really good understanding of each other. So then I said to myself, okay, let me get this straight. So Burkhart's just doing his job and you guys are close friends. But you've allowed this to perpetuate to the point where we're still, we're now getting close to June and Kyler Murray's nowhere near OTAs while we're watching guys like J.J. Watt bust his butt out in the hot Arizona sun, even to the extent of rolling over, you know, tackle dummies. Um, we see Buda Baker there working his thing, doing his thing. We see other, you know, leaders on the Cardinals team. Yes, some of the other guys aren't there. I don't like that either. I don't think it's a good look. I mean, it's three days. I mean, to start with. How tough is that? When this is all mapped out in the offseason, it's on their schedules. And other teams are doing it. Why not the Cardinals? And as Wolf said on his show today, I mean, he said, there should be this bitter taste in everyone's mouths to where they should be burning to get back on the field to uh, take care of this and to, you know, push back and fight back and get this thing right. 
and you know, with guys missing from OTAs and not taking advantage of the op- these rare opportunities that the NFL gives uh, the NFL teams, what does it suggest? Um, and I don't think it's a good look. Uh, and I, you know, yeah, it's voluntary, but so are many, many things in life voluntary. I mean, you know, why do you, you know, as Buddha Baker said, why do you show up to OTAs for the other guys and being a leader and getting everyone on the same page for the team? You show up for the team. It's pretty simple. All right. And for those who think, oh, it's no big deal to the other players, which players don't go. Oh, I can tell you right now, many of the players know exactly who's there and who isn't there, and they're keeping score. It's human nature. In any job, you'll see that. You can ask yourself in your own job, if it was voluntary to go to the company picnic, for example, where they're lauding one of your colleagues um, with gifts who's just about to retire or something, and they make it voluntary, are people paying attention to who's going and who, who isn't? Of course they are. Does it affect people's attitudes towards others? It can and often does. I mean, people will just say, and they're, and I think they're right to do it. I went out of my way to come here. Why can't so-and-so? And, um, you know, if I'm going to be here and suck it up for the company or suck it up for the team and do what's right for morale and do what's right for my colleagues who we're supposed to be honoring, I mean, I'll be honest with you. I retired after close to 40 years of high school teaching. And my retirement party, which was shared with a couple other people who retired, starting at the same time, the whole faculty is invited. And it's, like, it's a fun affair. You know, there's you know, um, <clears throat> amount of light refreshments consumed and some roasting. And, you know, and, uh, you know I, I, I was never just... A, you know, super agog to go to these things, but I know how important it is to people, and I like being part of the team when I went, so I, I went to most of them. And they're not cheap either. You know, usually they're like 75 bucks, and that doesn't even include a meal. It's hors d'oeuvres, and then you have to pay cash bar. Um, but, you know, three of my closest friends um, for the 20 years I was at Foxborough High School didn't show up. And, uh, I got to be honest, I, you know, I, I didn't just say, oh, well, cool. I, you know, I, I noticed because I was hoping they'd be there because I was hoping to celebrate this with them. And, you know, if the shoe were on the other foot, would I have been at their retirements? Absolutely. You know, it just mystifies me. But, you know, in their defense, some of them say they never go to these things and they don't want to pay the money and they don't really like it you know okay um and i still value the friendships i mean they'll always value the friendships but i'll be honest you know hurt a little bit um and uh you know i i really was hoping they'd be there and they weren't now others were and some surprised me who were there you know um and i it was nice nice surprise so but there's so many things in life that are that are uh, voluntary that you know it's 
you know the right or wrong to it. You know, going to funerals. No one has to go. Who likes going? You know? But why do you go to funerals? To grieve yourself, but what's the primary reason to go to funerals? To pay your respects and to be there for the family, the grieving families. I mean, so it's, it's, it's a thing that's larger than yourself. Um, now, people are going to say, well, Kyler doesn't have his contract, and if he blows out an ankle in OTAs, um, you know, then you know, why should he even risk it? All right, two things with regard to that. Two things. Is, number one is when asked that same question, um, you know, uh, Marcus Spears, former NFL player and ESPN commentator, and Dan Orlovsky were both um, pretty adamant that they were kind of disgusted that Kyler didn't show up for OTAs and thought it was a really terrible look, particularly the way the Cardinals' season ended, and particularly in light of all this drama that was going on all off season. And um, you know, the Kyler's image around the league is taking quite a hit. I mean, this was not a. We'll talk about that in a minute, but. <clears throat> But they, they were not impressed. And then Adam Schefter ad, asked Swagoo, hey, listen, man, well, why should he risk, you know, um, injury in an OTAs? And Swagoo laughed out loud. And he said, Adam, go check out OTAs. Nobody's blowing out an Achilles. I mean, it's very, very rare you'll ever see injuries like that at OTAs. It's half speed. You know, people aren't. It's more of a mental and team building exercise than it is, you know, and, and the, the conditioning is pretty straightforward. It's, you know, um, now some guys bust it more than others and put it all out there, and that's great. But, uh, you know, the, the odds of Kyler Murray getting injured at, OT, at OTAs is ridiculous. To add to your point on that, the, there's only one time ever that I remember a catastrophic injury happening at OTAs, and I guess as a disclaimer, I think the whole concept of OTAs is kind of silly and we put too much emphasis on it. But at the same time, the only major injury I can remember from OTAs was Hunter Henry in his second or third year with the Chargers. It was literally the first day of OTAs. Yeah. He had a season ending injury. That's the only time right. I've ever heard of right. such a case. And you can have, as we've seen, poor, uh, who was the Tariq, um, uh, the running back from the Bears, who's uh, uh, Tariq Cohen. Tariq Cohen um, taping a work at private workout, blew out his Achilles. That was terrible to watch. But this can happen when you're working out on your own or whatever. It's not like Kyler's sitting around doing nothing. You know, he's at back at home in Texas, working out on a high school field with Hollywood Brown and some other players. You know, so it's not like Kyler's doing nothing, and that's good. But there's a difference. I mean, wouldn't it be so much better if in particularly in introducing Hollywood Brown to the whole team for those two to be at OTAs? It'd be, a, I think, a real boost to everyone there. But unfortunately, that's not happening. But I want to add this. I want to point this out. Of all those guys at OTAs, and there's the vast majority of the 90 players on the Cardinals roster were there. Um, into the 80s in attendance, okay? So 
Do you know who would have the most injury protection of any of those players who were out there busting it? It's Kyler Murray. I mean, when the Cardinals picked up his fifth-year option, that right there has guaranteed him, even if they don't sign a new extension, to $34.5 million over this year and next. Guaranteed. All of it is guaranteed. I mean, that's... I mean, talk about injury insurance. So it's not like... Tyler could ruin his whole career and not get a dime back from anyone. Also, the Cardinals have been very generous with players coming off injuries. I mean, they signed Tyron Matthew to the high, made him the highest paid safety in the game after, you know, he lost, you know, suffered his second ACL. I mean, they believed in Tyron that much and there was reason to at the time, you know, and they rewarded him. So it's not like the Cardinals are going to turn their back on someone they really like um, to begin with. But it's folly to think, oh, if he twists an ankle or, you know, um, tears an Achilles or something, which, of course, you wouldn't want anyone to do. He could be doing it out, you know, on the high school practice field where there's a hole um, in the grass um, just as easily. I mean, less, you know, more more likely than he's at the Cardinals facility where the, it's well maintained. Um, you know, uh, but to have 34.5 million in insurances, plus um, someone was saying he has a Lloyd's of London or some insurance added insurance policy. Um, but that would mean that if, if the Cardinals didn't extend him, that if he played out five years, he would have uh, made close to 70 million guaranteed that's more than any player in NFL history would have made in five years I mean so um, it's not like Tyler needs to apply for food stamps um, it's not like he's that you know um, would be that needy so but anyway uh, it's unfortunate um, that, here's the other thing I, I know that Kyle just said that yeah, he doesn't think OTAs matter that much any, anyway. As a former coach um, and player, uh, you know, we always did off-season stuff in my hometown. I mean, that's tough. This is the kind of stuff that you hear players say in the heat of the moment, in the second half of a must-win game. It's like, remember when we were busting our butts back in, in you know, when no one told us we had to be on the field? Remember when we... When you go the extra mile, it's the thing that gives you that added, you know, sort of motivation and confidence that you're doing this thing the right way, and that you've you're paying you've paid your dues you you've earned this you've earned this right to now be able to seize this moment because you've outworked your opponents you deserve it more than they do that's for one, but the other thing is the NFL now has such strict rules on practices that if you don't take advantage of the limited practices they give you on the field, what a wasted opportunity. I mean, put it this way. Down the stretch last year, um, how how is the Cardinals' pass coverage? How are those zones? All right. 
you could spend three days working on those zones with the players you have. And we had the whole secondary reporting, except for Byron Murphy. Don't know what's going on with him. He's in a contract year. I mean, maybe he's asking what Kyler's asking. Like, I won't show up till you pay me. And nobody knows about it yet. I don't know. But he wasn't there. But everybody else is there. And Boot is there to help help work this. I mean, these are valuable. When you set plant the seeds early, they're going to grow better later. I mean, so this kind of, and this will come back, I think, to to bite Bill um, Michael Bidwell in the butt and Steve Kime, and I'll talk about that in a minute. But but he getting back to Steve Kime was that you know saying that he and Eric Burkhardt are buddy buddies, and you have they have a great rapport, and then oh yeah, well we're we're expecting to work something out this summer. All right, so I said to myself. So if they have this sort of buddy-buddy relationship and they've already said they have a good rapport, all the more reason, and, and Steve Kimes said, yeah, I really expect us to get a deal done this summer. I said to myself, so all the more reason why Kyler Murray should be at OTAs. I mean, if this is already like buddy-buddy and we've talked about this, they didn't trade Kyler. When asked about that, Steve Kimes said, zero chance we're trading Kyler. Steve Kimes said, you know, he's our future. He has said he's the, he's the guy we want to keep building this thing around. He said all the right things, okay, um, and given Kyler every vote of confidence. He even said yesterday on McAfee, said that Kyler's a film junkie. Um, he didn't apply that to game preparation. He applied that to watching um, prospective dr- draft picks. Um, for one, and that Kyler tweets him about guys he likes, which I think is great. Um, and there has been question. I mean, Kyler, he said himself that he doesn't kill himself watching tape during game weeks, so which has caused a bit of a debate. Um, I know Matthew Stafford does. I know Tom Brady does. Um, if you look back at Super Bowl winners, there's not a one of them recently that says, ah, I can just show up and play and not really study tape. So um, there's a different kind of understanding uh, about that. Uh, and in time, a young player might get that message and realize, yeah, I better do more than what I'm doing. So we'll see. But then it dawned on me, okay, because so what's going on here? I mean, if everything's cool with Kime and Burkhart, you know, and most people blame Burkhardt, and I did. I was too. I think this is a rogue agent who's absolutely desperate. So then I thought, hmm, and this was my theory because I was thinking, like, so where's the disconnect here? Why would Kyler be at OTAs, knowing that you know his GM's tight with his agent, his head coach Cliff, who shares the same agent, has been extended which I, I agree with some people, came out of left field. Um, not only that, that Kine was extended again. Um, but for, what was it, five years or something? Uh, six years? I mean, a lengthy extension. All right? So, and those are guaranteed contracts. You have to actually sort of um, violate uh, the league rules or something or, you know, smack a player or, you know, 
have a conduct issue to for teams not to have to pay it. So, I mean, those are, you know, locked in contracts that don't go away. Um, and I'm not saying, you know, with Cliff necessarily, that's a bad thing. I'm hoping it's a great thing as he continues to grow on the job, but he's got to learn. He's got to show everyone that he can coach a team through the finish of at least beyond, you know, um, one playoff game and, and the, the play down the stretch needs to improve. He knows no one knows that more than he does. So, you know, that that's, that's a given, but, but then I was thinking, so, and then it dawned on me, this is Bidwell. It's gotta be. And then I thought back, well, let's go back and look at how this whole thing started. All right. So, you know, first back in the bye week, I mean, I don't know, if Eric Burkhart got in Kyler Murray's head after Kyler's ankle injury. But it did feel like a long time for a player to sit out. Um, and they wanted to get him right and get him through the bye week. And it turns out it, it worked out fine. In fact, more better than people would imagine. Colt McCoy did his job. The, the players rallied around him. They won two out of three games on two of the biggest games of the season, the NFC West road games at San Francisco and Seattle. I mean, everything was going well. And then when Kyler came back, there was the Chicago game. He didn't have to do much. It was a rainy game, if you recall. Um, The defense was getting, you know, four turnovers from Andy Dalton and capitalizing on that. And Kyler's early hookup with Hopkins was outstanding for the touchdown on a fourth down play on a fade pass to the pylon. That was great. Set the tone. That was a game we went. But after that, um, the bottom started to fall out. And Kyler did not look the same. Um, He looked more skittish than normal. Um, Looked like he was playing with one eye on the game and one eye on trying to do everything he could to not get hurt. Which, you know, to a degree, you want, like, an you know, any hitter in a baseball game, you want to trust your instincts. The ball's going to come at your head. You're going to duck. But if you're in the batter's box just thinking about getting hit, uh, you're not going to hit well, put it that way. You can't play the game. You can't, you know, I mean, even who was the famous actress, uh, um, you know, uh, Glenn Close um, said that you can't be afraid and do your job. Um, and, you know, Kyler looked just way more skittish than normal. He was way more eager to take belly flops and dives, um, you know. And at times you want him to do that if there's just no way out. But at other times when you're trying to win a game to win to your own division and you're that close and you, you just, you know, um, going down too fast when you might have been able to wriggle out. Um, that's another thing. And then his kind of unwillingness at times to run. Although at times when he did take advantage and run, he he really was great. And that's, that's the thing that makes Kyler special is the dual threat aspect. So when he's eager to do all of his, his uh, take advantage of his skills um, to the highest level, Wow, he's outstanding, um, and he's shown that. But when he's kind of thinking too much, 
he's also shown, you know, that he's when he's not as aggressive, when he's not as apt to try to escape pressure, um, when he stubbornly just wants to take the ball in the, in the shotgun all the time. And I, I've been hoping that the Cardinals finally change this because it's too predictable and it gives the defense um, too predictable a look to try to defend. If you move Kyler around, man, it's going to be so difficult for defenses to, to defend. So, um, but, uh, but so, I mean, Kyler's play down the stretch, except at Dallas where he, you know, raises the bar himself, um, you know, was not inspirational. Let's put it that way. It was not like it was clearly in the first half of the season. His ankle was fine by then. So it wasn't the ankle. And he wasn't having shoulder injury, you know, issues like he had the year before. It just wasn't. Now there were there was some attrition. There was some, you know, uh, ups and downs along the line. I mean, but the Colts lost four or five starters on their offensive line and beat the Cardinals on Christmas Day. So I mean, and the Cardinals, you know, I mean, you know, it's not like teams weren't facing it with with the COVID and with other things. Um, and also Colt McCoy seemed to adapt pretty well, um, with makeshift lines, you know, it could have been better. Now losing Hopkins was another thing that was very, very difficult, obviously, but Colt McCoy won two games without Hopkins and he did the, his offensive efficiency in those games on the road at San Francisco and Seattle were outstanding. Two of the top four quarter QBRs for the Cardinals on the season. So, um, you know, why does that happen? And I, I just thought that Kyler looked, just looked like he was really worried, like as if Eric Burkhart said to him, look, you know, whatever you do, Kyler, you can't get hurt again, or we're not going to get this contract. Um, so, and it looked to me like he was, you know, thinking about that. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. Um, Because in a way, I'm trying to give Kyler credit. Because was Kyler Murray a much better quarterback than what we saw down the stretch? I would hope so. We've seen it prior, you know, in prior season, you know, earlier in seasons. And I'd like to think that that's the Kyler we're going to get moving forward. But I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm a little worried that I'm not sure money solves that. Um you know, it certainly might give more of a, a cushion, but you know, I, I hope, I hope and pray if he does get the extension that he can put that part behind him and not think too much in games, particularly about getting hurt. Um, but then, so here's where it, it dawned on me was, you know, the way the the season ended with uh, not only the embarrassing loss and the heartbreak of seeing Buda Baker carted off who was playing his, you know, typical Buddha to play, leave it all out on the field. Um, you know, by then the game was pretty much over. The outcome was not in jeopardy. The Cardinals have been totally dominated. Um, and, uh, you know, right in the same part of the field where Kyler chucked up the duck, um, you know, that unfortunately was just, you know, a, a gift wrap to the Rams. Um you know, and then the ending of the game without Kyler going back in, um, 
that I don't care who you are. Um, that's not never a good look. And of course, Colt McCoy understood that and tried to plead with Kyler. So I think the way that that game ended and with Kyler not refusing to go back with him, refusing to go back in the game, it wouldn't surprise me if that pissed the hell out of Michael Bidwell. In fact, I would expect it to. And I think that's why, I mean, Kyle Odegaard and others reported that, that Bidwell's first act of business was to call a meeting, like a heated meeting with uh, Steve Kime and Cliff Kingsbury, where um, apparently um, Bidwell was outraged and expressing his, um, his concerns about what he'd seen down the, down the stretch and in that Rams game. And that's a good thing. You want your owner to be passionate like that and not, you know, take these things sitting down. But I think at that meeting, you know, I think it, it was more than likely expressed to Steve Klein and, and Cliff that, you know, I'm, I, we can't extend this kid now. Not, not when he does stuff like that. Not when he plays like this. I mean, it creates too much doubt. And I'm going to guess this, and I've been guessing it all along. I imagine this is the way human nature goes. I imagine there were some players, even on the offensive line, who probably thought, man, we were clicking so well with Colt and Kyler struggling. Could have maybe should have gone back to Colt. Um, you know. I mean, that is human nature. I think some of you would be like, Colt McCoy, are you kidding? Yeah, Colt McCoy. Go back and watch those games, man. I said at the time, this is the way Cliff wants his offense run. It, you know, if you go back to Texas Tech, this was Texas Tech offense. The ball gets out on time. It's clean. It's smooth. It's efficient. It's not these staggered snaps. You can't get the ball snapped and someone's jumping off sides and, you know, and then sloppy routes and, you know, uh, quarterback having to run around like crazy half the time. You know, um, it's not all, you know, um, a panic the way sometimes it is with Kyler. When Colt ran, you know, calmed everything down. and uh, It was just so impressive, you know, so... You know, could there be a bit of a division in the locker room about this? I, uh, with a guy who just refused to go back in the game, uh, with a guy who's not coming to OTAs, it wouldn't shock me in the least. In fact, I kind of expect it. Um, you know, because also, you know, there's been those talks about Kyler getting too much too soon, getting the red carpet treatment. He's been pampered and babied and coddled. Um, and then, you know, sort of looks enabled. I will tell you this, and I'm shocked that he has a father that's a football guy. I mean, for him to draw this much attention on himself after that last game that he played, I mean, I'm, the best thing he could have done is just distance himself from that as much as he could and taken every ounce of energy he had, not into his contract, but just saying, like, I'm going to come back from this big time. And I'm going to make people forget that I ever played in that game. 
You know, instead, by drawing this much attention, I don't know what that means. I mean, it means to me that he thinks that everything's copacetic. Like, it's okay, you know. Um, and that some of those struggles, you know, I know that his team, Burkhart, his team expressed that they felt he was being unfairly scapegoated for the Rams game. Um, well, I don't know about that, but, you know. But then I thought, you know, so if Kime and Urquhart are so tight, why would Burkhart make this biggest stink and then call the Cardinals cheap? Well, who's he calling cheap? It's not Kime. It's got to be Bidwell. And I think Bidwell coming out of that meeting probably posed the question. I, I don't see how we can extend. We, we need to see more from Kyler before we're dropping 40 plus million a year on him and maybe 150 million to 160 million guaranteed. And you know what? I wouldn't blame Bill Vool for asking that question now, but here's what may have ha probably happened. Both guys in the room are pals with Burkhart in Kingsbury and in, in kind. And the word must've gotten back to Burkhart about, you know, looks like, Bidwell's in no mood to do a contract extension and that created the urgency for Burkhart to go to work right away and to plant the seeds of no we're not use whatever leverage he has because ultimately who has the ultimate ledger you know the most leverage in this situation it's Bidwell <clears throat> I mean he doesn't have to sign card uh, Kyler for until 2024, he can let this whole thing play out. And oh, I'm I'm a big believer, and I think that Kyler can be the quarterback we want him to be. But we got to see some things first, don't we? We got to see him play better in the second half of seasons. We got to see better leadership from him, better decision making. A smoother offense at times. You know, there are things that, on you know, and sort of a maturity, uh, sort of a, you know what, maybe I was silly to think that I shouldn't kill myself watching tape. Maybe I should do more of this. Whatever it is, maybe I should listen to coach more and maybe run from under center more. Maybe I should adapt and take new, you know, approaches to the way I'm running the the offense, those type of things. Um, but, you know, I think that Bidwell would have, would have had every right to think that we got to wait on this. Now, what Bidwell didn't figure out was how, you know, he didn't figure out when he probably was telling Cliff and, uh, and, and kind this was that how, Eric Hart, Burkhart, and Kyler are going to freak out about this and say, no, we're not, Kyler's not playing another snap without a new contract. And that we're going to, we're going to push back on this and you're not going to, you know, so that's why now, you know, I, that's what I'm saying. If, if since things seem to calm down after the draft and Kyler wasn't traded um, and, you know, and, who shows up like with a rabbit out, pulling a rabbit out of the hat, than 
Michael Bidwell with Hollywood Brown walking and his girlfriend walking off the, the jet, uh, Michael's jet, into the Cardinals draft fest. I mean, you know, and, whoa, look at this. You know, and talk about a gesture to kind of smooth things over with his quarterback. But I, I don't think that Bidwell had the foresight to see how this thing was going to blow up. Um, and, you know, I think that he he probably told Cliff and, and Kime that, look, you know, I don't think I'm ready to do a new contract with Kyler. I got to see more. I don't think there's anyone who wants to believe more in Kyler than Bidwell. I don't think Bidwell for a second doubts Kyler's skills. I think, though, there are some things that, you know, you look at that obviously need improvement. And, you know, I, I don't think it hurts to take another year to look at it um, and ask him to improve these areas. And I don't know how his, his uh, exit interview went. Maybe they, it was brought up there that here's the, here are the things we want. Maybe they took a hard line with Kyler. I would have. I mean, you have to in those moments. I mean, I also would have praised him up and down for being an MVP candidate first half of the year, for coming back from his injury and playing a good Bears game. But what happened? I've been ask, asking questions. What happened after that? How can we? What can we do to make things better? What can you do to make things better? Those are the kind of things you ask at an exit interview. Um, and maybe Kyler felt he was overly criticized. I don't know. But what seems to make sense to me is that word got out pretty fast to er, to Burkhart that uh, the Cardinals were instead just planning to pick up his fifth year option, which they've done so far. And that there wasn't, there was, it was going to be questionable as to cut whether Kyler was going to get a, a contract extension, which I've been saying all along, if Kyler doesn't make any stink and he's showing up this whole time, if he's making the commitment and he's the guy in the building on offense, like J.J. Watt is the guy in the building on defense, I think Bidwell rewards him with it, seeing that, wow, Kyler gets it. That's what he wanted to see from Kyler, his leadership. That's what he wanted to see. Is he wants to see maturity. He wants to see growth, better decision-making, that type of thing. Um, it was spelled out through a mole to, you know, um, Chris Mortensen on ESPN, who on the during the Super Bowl week, um, reported this, and I'm wondering now whether that, that mole may have been Bidwell himself. Um, you know, he's still kind of smarting over the way the season ended, and like I said, I, you know, I kind of like my owner to be like that. But here's what I don't like my owner to be is now with all this stuff twisting in the wind, it just blew up and got more and more intense. And until the Cardinals flight plan, where, you know, I don't know. I think Bidwell wants us to think he's the good guy and he's playing good cop and Steve Kimes the bad cop. And it's a really interesting dynamic between the two of them. I'm not sure if they're ever really completely on the same page ever. I mean, it would seem right now that Kime's all gung-ho about the extension for Kyler. I'm not sure that Bidwell is. And so 
you know, the way Kime was talking on McAfee, it was like, oh, yeah, things are cool. Well, and then, so, I mean, Bidwell starts the first off-season flight plan with him at his desk making, you know, showing everyone how hard he's working um, and how he's signing the free agents that are coming in and stuff. And it's all good. I mean, it's all great. And that's part of his job. He does really well. But also there's this perception. And then he gets on and talks about Kyler like, oh, it's not, our, my conversations with Kyler have always been great. Oh, it's, you know, we're cool. And, you know, if we're in May and it's OTAs and the, the, the quarterback, the starting quarterback and face of your franchise, do we want to be the face of your fan, franchise is in Texas while his teammates are out drinking Gatorade and running their butts off in the hot sun? It can't, everything can't be cool, you know. And by now, things should have been cool. And it kind of ticks me off because I feel like there's no adult in the room here who has the wise thing to say to get this thing done. Um, you know, this has twisted, been twisting around too long and it's been, you know, fomenting. And I, I don't think in a good way. I think that, you know, I mean, now Cliff said, well, what about Kyler coming to mandatory minicamp? Do you think he'll be there? And Cliff said, I do. All right. Um, so I don't know. Uh, but I mean, Bidwell could have diffused this thing two ways from this once it started to, to uh, get out of control. He could have. And this is what I mean about being the adult in the room. He could have said, look, and he could have gone on national media himself. He could have expressed this to Kyler and Burkhart first, is that we're not doing a contract extension this year. There are a number of reasons that I'm not going to get into. Um, you know, and it has to do with a number of, of issues that not have some of which have nothing to do with Kyler, but we're, we like Kyler. Um, we want him to be our quarterback of the future, but we're going to table this for another year. We'd like to see more development. And uh, we feel like that's a better timetable for us. So you either, you know, decide, you know, you, you call the shots from the beginning that, you know, this is what we're going to do. We have the leverage, um, you know, and we'll be ready to do a, write a contract with Kyler on our, you know, when we're ready to. Um, no, it's a bit of a hard line, but, you know, it's not a bad line to take necessarily just for clarity and, you know, and, you know, we're, if Kyler holds out, we're just going to hold him to his contract. He is under contract from us for, for uh, two years, two more years. I mean, he bugged out of the Oakland A's contract. So, I mean, he's got a history of that. Um, but, you know, I think that this time around, I, I, it would have been good to just lay that out there as this is what's going to happen. He can hold out. He'll incur the fines, and we'll have other players ready just in case. But we want him there. He's under contract, and we expect him to honor his contract. Period. All right. So if that's too hard line for you, then the other the other suggestion is 
make it clear that you're getting a deal done sooner rather than later and that it's in the interest of both parties and we want a fair deal on both sides rather than let this whole thing perpetuate rather than have a mole come out and talk about how Kyler's immature, how, um, you know, didn't like the way the season ended. Um, you know, he needs to show growth in his leadership. We've got, you know, he needs to improve, improve upon his leadership. You know, all that was not good for Kyler. And let's just face it, it was not good to keep this constant attention on the Cardinals and their woes coming off of a, you know, they got everybody excited and we're the, at the top of the NFL after 12 games. And then we saw what happened. And, you know, people like to jump on the Cardinals bandwagon. I think a lot of people want to see the Cardinals do well whenever they do. And then they get let down, as we've noticed. But despite all that, a recent poll I did on Cardinal fans of, of whether you, you feel optimistic about the team's chances for success this year, and 55% rounded up said yes, 45% said no. So that's really good, despite the drama of the Kyler situation. I think a lot of people just expect it to work itself out, and you know, this would be a big, no big deal, or pun intended, once it is, and it was a big, you know, much ado about nothing. Um, you know, boy, it sure could have made this off season so much sweeter and less stressful. Um, I'll talk for myself. This is not um, sat well with, with me. Um, and, uh, I, you know, I lost sleep over it. I really have. I mean, this is our franchise quarterback and, it, you know, he's got room to grow and prove things still. And, you know, uh, but to have this front and center in the media and to see Kyler take the hits. And and now it's still not, you know, Mina Kimes said that this is still not a good look for the Cardinals. I mean, you know, they signed, they went and traded for Marquise Brown and Kyler's still not an OTA, not going to OTAs. Brown isn't there. Um, you know, just... And she said that this just signifies more and more sort of bad blood between Kyler or distrust, she said, between Kyler and ownership. Because why else wouldn't you be there if you just didn't trust they were going to, you know, um, work with you? Uh, so, I mean, would have been nice if there were better leadership up front. I still think that there's, it's been a just baffling um, you know, few years of trying to wonder where Bidwell and Kaim are, if they're anywhere near on the same page. I mean, we know that they weren't in in um, selecting BA's successor. We know that uh, in selecting Cliff Kingsbury, Bidwell was lauding Adrian Wilson and and Ernie Acorsi. <laughs> um. Kime said it didn't take him till March to warm up to the idea of Kyler Murray. But now that now, if you listen to him on McAfee today, he was all bubbly about Kyler and you know being buddy buddy with the agent and getting something done over the summer. Everything's cool. Um, some would ask, well, you know, Bidwell ends the season, you know, calls in, 
it, it, you know, calls a riot act on Kingsbury and Kime. And then shortly thereafter, once the Kyler um, social media scrubbing came out and the backlash of that, and then the manifesto, and then this national stink, um, you know, and Bidwell reeling from that, you know, in, in the midst of that, he extends Cliff and Kime. I think he appreciates that Cliff and Kime are pretty close now and that, that they're working hard together, which is, can be a good thing. Um, you know, but that seemed premature or sort of a knee-jerk reaction to what was going on with Kyler. I think it also, like Kime did, like what Bidwell did when he fired um, Steve Wilkes, was he doubled down on Kime and, you know, gave him a, a raise, even an extension then. Um, sort of like saying, like, this wasn't your fault. Um, and by, by extending time and Cliff, you know, um, when he did, I mean, that's that's Bidwell saying, way of saying, you're not to blame for this. So then who is? Who's to blame for how ticked off Bidwell was at the end of this season? And that therein lies the answer, I think, in part to the acrimony that's been created this offseason. And um, won't be settled until there's some clarity uh, in the, uh, you know, in terms of a contract extension. I'm just worried that this is just going to put such a bull added bullseye on Kyler's back. Some of this has been self-inflicted by by himself. Mm-hmm. Bill Barnwell, ESPN, just wrote uh, you know about the best and worst off seasons. He had the Cardinals as one of the worst, and he questioned the Ertz money because Ertz wasn't you know was basically what he said was performing at the same level as in the Eagles, and now the Cardinals are going to pay him the same money for three more years, given his age. Um, I'll rebut that by saying that I think Ertz is just such a natural fit in the offense and was a go-to guy. And I think that, you know, yeah, the Cardinals may have paid him a little bit more than um, than perhaps, you know, you'd want them to pay him. But I think that Ertz also has been shown himself to be such a positive leader and, you know, um, tough-nosed uh, player. Um, for the Cardinals and the Cardinals are stressing veteran leadership. So I think that's a solid move for them. I don't question that. He also questions the Connor signing, um, saying, you know, citing his yards per carry. Look at, all right, here's where Connor was so valuable. First of all, he fired everyone up. Second of all, he gave up physicality. The Cardinals have been saying they want leadership and stronger physicality. He gave the team both. I mean, he was picking up the third and inches that the, that plagued the Cardinals and kept them from getting a playoff berth the year before. He solved all of that. Some of the reasons why his yards per carrier down is he was in he carried the ball in those key tough situations. He was also splitting time with Chase Edmonds, and then down in the red zone, he was an absolute dog. I mean, he scored eighteen touchdowns. We haven't had that kind of production from a running back since David Johnson in his, you know, Hall of Fame year, um, you know, his banner year. Um, so 
I mean, when you get that kind of production, that kind of toughness, the way he fired the team up, his, the physical aspects he brought to the offense was something the Cardinals sorely needed. I mean, look at those San Francisco running backs. They come at you a ton. Look at the Seattle running backs. They come at you a ton. Look at Cam Akers. I mean, he doesn't want to, he, he he hits a hole and hits it hard. Um, Henderson, the, the Ram running backs, they, they're all, you know, look at the other running backs around the, the NFC West. Well, James Conner became the bell cow um, and the pro bowler from the NFC West running in terms of running backs last year, and he deserved it. So I'm in on that. He, he brings he's such, has such high character. I think that that was a really good trade, really good signing. And then he questioned the Hollywood Brown trade just from the standpoint of um, now you're going to have to pay him. So now how do you pay Hopkins and Brown? And then, you know, when you could have had a rookie and paying him on a rookie salary, I get that question. But no one has the chemistry with Kyler, Kyler Murray the way that uh, Hollywood Brown does. So, you know, and that's built in. And, you know, with Hopkins out, that was a mitigating factor, you know, or, or cer certainly an, a, um, a, an important factor for the Cardinals to, you know, particularly because they struggled out Hopkins down the stretch last year. Um, so a lot of that adds up to me. I, I don't question any of that. Um, but what I do question is here's the big question I want to leave you with is that, um, you know, by not communicating well in Michael Bidwell's case, by allowing this situation to perpetuate, it's still not solved. It's still on people's minds. It still makes people wonder. Um, if Mina Kimes is concerned about it and thinks that this signals more and more acrimony, even though... Bidwell has said we want to get a deal done sometime in the summer. You know, the, you know, Steve Kime has said on Matt McAfee, oh yeah, I expect we'll we'll get something done. You know, I'm good, you know, good friends with Eric Burkhart. Um, he's all cool with this. In the interim, the guy who's taken more of the hits is Kyler Murray. And I don't wish Kyler could have just gotten, you know, above all this and just said, heck with it, I'm gonna be with my boys. I'm going to OTAs. I'm not going to you know, watch them from afar. I'm going to bring Hollywood with me. I'm going to do like Bidwell did in the Fan Fest and bring Hollywood. We're going to come together. We're going to hit this by storm. And, yeah, I'm going to expect we get a deal done or whatever, but I, I got to be with my, my guys and my Brodies, get in there and get started. Um, boy, wouldn't that have been great. Uh, have been great. But look at this. We got, you know, Kyler in Texas. Um, that was front page news on ESPN, Kyler's no-show. That means something. It was the first thing on ESPN NFL Live that they talked for 15 minutes on, and they talked about it again Tuesday. I mean, people are talking about this, and it's not good talk. It's not pause. Let's generate some positive buzz for the Cardinals talk, which at this time of year, you know, that's what comes with spring and renewal and renewal of hopes. So something's got to give there. Uh, it's just 
unfortunate that all of it had to go down this way. And um, I'm just hoping Kyler can, you know, because I think this creates more of a bullseye on his back. Um, you know, it's, it's portrayed him as a kind of a petulant, um, you know, uh, a malcontent um, kind of and with a sense of entitlement in, in ways that nobody's ever asked for before. And then it's put as to question is just how much does he deserve what he, you know, what they think he's going to get. And um, PFF is predicting a six-year, $260 million contract with $155 million guaranteed. Which, incidentally, by the way, gang, um, you'd be curious to know, I put out a poll back on May 5th about um, which contract do you believe the team should model for Kyler Murray. And the overwhelming will winner was the 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 uh, the Josh Allen six year, hundred fifty million guaranteed contract, and it's about the same money, only a little bit more uh, per year. Which uh, in Allen's case was, uh, uh, I think. I have the details here if you'd like them on Josh Allen's contract. Yeah. So, so Josh Allen current. So I I looked this up because there was a report the other day that um, Kyler would get a quote unquote Derek Carr structured contract. Yeah. Um. And so I looked up what that was, and apparently De- uh, Derek Carr is the fifth highest paid quarterback in the NFL, which I was surprised by. But right. Uh, Josh Allen's contract was six years. Two hundred and fifty-eight million, which is about forty-three million a year, with a hundred and fifty guaranteed at signing. Yeah, and and the way that PFF had it, I think it was at forty-six point something a year. Mm-hmm. Um, I assume and, that that's because Aaron Rodgers' contract. I guess Deshaun Watson. Correct, too, but Aaron Rodgers' correct. contract reset the market. They they talked about that. Yeah, PFF did, and. Um, so, uh, yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, I, <laughs> boy, you just pray that if that's this the kind of money, um, the Cardinals better be right and Kyler better be right. Um, cause boy, that's quite a commitment. Now, the key figure is the guaranteed money, which in this case is, would be a, if it's true to form, it's, it's around the hundred. Between 150 and 160, you know, that's a lot. They're going to spread out. Uh, but the other thing is, too, which and you have always have to think of this, is, well, how much money do they give them up front? They give them all the guaranteed $150 million up front. And if that's the case, you know, later down in the contract, he's going to say, well, now I'm only paying playing for 20 million a year when he pocketed 150 million in the beginning. So um, if he does this again, oh boy, I mean, I don't know. And particularly if he hasn't straightened out some of the things he needs to improve. But I guess what's really bothering me about it is that, you know, I, it's people are talking like Kyler, like he's been around five, six years. Like he's just, veteran now deserves to be paid like the top quarterbacks in the NFL. I don't see him like that yet. I, w- I wish I did. 
I just see a young quarterback who's trying to find his way. I don't think he's figured a lot of things out yet. I think he thinks he has. But, you know, I, I see a very talented quarterback who's hit hit the ground running, literally, figuratively, the last two seasons, only to get injured and really struggle to regain the form he had earlier in the season. And that, I'd like to see him correct that before throwing $46 million a year at him. But, you know, and I, it'll be interesting to see, you know, if Bidwell, Bidwell has relented since then and, you know, figures he better do it. Maybe he's been talked into it. I don't know. Um, but I also get the strong sense that Bidwell has not been in a spending mode this this offseason. I mean, he had the $10 million cutoff line on free agents that he spoke of on on uh, on flight plan. Um, so, uh, you know, I don't know if it was has something to do with him purchasing the new team jet and maybe, um, you know, he's behind in cash flow or whatever or what's going on. But I think, that, you know, I just wonder whether that's been a deterrent of some sorts is that Bidwell's just not, you know, has um, the, the, the money right now um, to, to make these kind of deals. And he's trying to work things out. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, even if it's relative to the salary cap, like the Cardinals have spent a lot of money already against the salary cap. DJ Humphreys has a $19 million cap hit next year. Hopkins, 17. JJ Watt, 16. Buda right. Baker, 15. Right. Like, that, that might be part of it. Those signing bonuses have already been paid out. So, you know, it's, it's fine. And, you know, that's the thing about this is that, you know, if you, if you, Sign Kyler and give him 155 million guaranteed. Do you have the 155 to toss at him right now as a signing bonus, or do you get him to agree to take it, you know, and in, 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 you know, spread it out? Um, those things need to be worked out, and you know, a lot of players want it up front. This is what Hopkins have, has done twice. He did it with the in his second contract with the um, with the Texans, and then pulled a nightmare scenario on them. You know, you give a player all the guaranteed money up front, and in a five year deal, and in at the end of year two, having collected all the money, you say you want a new contract. I mean, which you've basically then back then paid, played for close to thirty million a year. I mean, back when they weren't paying wide receivers $30 million a year. And then he got it from the Cardinals by the trade, via the trade. The Cardinals ripped up the contract and gave it to him. And what's going on with him now? He's suspended for six games, coming off an injury-riddled season. His production was down this year. His touchdowns were up, which was good. But yeah, you just don't know what's going on with him. And, you know, it's it's a it's a it makes you leery of you better be sure not only of the player but of the person when you're given this kind of money out um, when you're making this type type of investment and uh, you know and in the case with Kyler you know there are some question marks 
anyone who's 24 years old there should be. But someone was saying on on NFL Live yesterday, do you have those question marks about Joe Burrow? And the whole panel said no. Do you have those question marks about Justin Herbert? The whole panel said no. Do you have those questions about Kyler Murray? The whole panel said yes. What does that tell you? I mean, that tells me this offseason was not the time to make this national news. And, like I was saying, I think he stood a better chance of winning everyone over by being in the building every day, by being that presence, by showing, like, I'm I'm coming back, you know, being with my 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 guys, and we're going to get after this. Unfortunately, it hasn't worked that way. So, you know, um, appreciate your everyone's thoughts. I know we're all, um, you know, um, trying to figure this out, but I just have a feeling. Just to set, sum it up, I think that it's interesting when we did the po- when I did the poll, the one with the lowest amount of votes votes for who's most to blame was Michael Bidwell. And yet um, he's the guy who calls these shots. And uh, I didn't until I got to be honest, I didn't connect those dots until I heard Kime on McAfee and heard how close he is with Burkhart. And I thought to myself, if they're that close, would you hang, hang a friend out to dry and your own client out there and make this big of a stink when you know you know, in good faith, you're going to get something done because you're among, you know, and it points back to Bidwell, I guess. It has to. I mean, if, if they're that close and Kime says, oh, yeah, I want to get a deal done, then, you know, it's, it's going to come down to Bidwell and what he wants and, and at the timetable that he wants and it probably at the money he wants, but I don't even know if at this point he can get the money he wants. Um, because of the way other quarterback salaries have skyrocketed. So, so yeah, let's just see. I mean, there's OTA three days, OTAs next week and one week after, and then you have, uh, you get three days. So there's six more uh, on the field opportunities for the Cardinals. We'll see who's showing up for that. And then we have the mandatory mini camp. Cliff has said he believes Kyler will be there, but, We'll see when the time comes. And um, in the interim, I hope everything's going to be worked out. And I I think we could have all been better off without all this. I hope you agree. But, uh, but yeah, so talk to you later. Um, Have a great, great week. Enjoy the uh, long weekend, um, you know, and, and, uh, and enjoy your barbecues, whatever you're doing. Hey, Thanks from me. Thanks from Kyle to Kyle Ledbetter, Little Rock, for his assistance and, and expertise. And then uh, uh, let's go Cardinals and let's let the red rain shower down on all of us into a red, red sea. Red rain. <laughs>